Welcome to Talk Tennis, a podcast created specifically for you, the tennis fanatic. Join us each week as we work to elevate your game both on and off the court. We will deliver fresh episodes to keep you up to date with tennis trends and technologies, as well as exclusive interviews with industry experts, current and former pros, and so much more. Here's your host, Michelle. Welcome to Talk Tennis. When I started exploring wheelchair tennis, a name continued to come up as someone that I needed to link up and talk with. So today our guest is someone who has clearly made a huge impact in tennis and most recently was named Wheelchair Tennis Champion of the Year for 2021. Welcome to Talk Tennis, Jennifer Edmondson. Thank you so much for joining me. Wow, Michelle, thank you so much for that introduction. And um, I am honored and privileged to be here with you and help spread the word about wheelchair tennis. I am. Yes. So excited. Your name came up like continuously. And I just like kept hearing about all these amazing things that you're doing. And the Southern section in particular seems to be doing a ton of initiatives with wheelchair tennis. But before we get into all of that, I wanted to know what your background in tennis is. Okay, so I first became aware of wheelchair tennis before I was involved with tennis, per se. I um, graduated from physical therapy school, and as a physical therapist, I started working in a rehabilitation unit. And the hospital that I worked for encouraged, you know, volunteerism from their employees. And so I was sent to volunteer at this wheelchair tennis tournament that they were a sponsor of. And at the time, the Cajun Classic, which is the tournament that is near and dear to my heart that got me first started in all of this was a very small local tournament, just a few players. And it was about maybe five or six, seven years old at the time. And I was completely just blown away and my eyes were opened to witness these wheelchair tennis athletes. The people that I knew in wheelchairs were patients in a rehab hospital who had either, you know, suffered a recent injury or were in the hospital because of an illness. And and those were patients who obviously are more critical. And you're teaching them as a therapist how to get back into life, how to start assimilating to life in a wheelchair if you weren't accustomed to that before, or how to assimilate to life in your wheelchair because you've had something different that happened to you, even if you maybe had lived previously in the wheelchair. So those challenges were always very fascinating to me as as a therapist, how can I help this person problem solve their body and their new situation, so to speak, to still be a great active participant in life and not become depressed or, you know, just kind of get in that state of mind where they didn't want to overcome what had happened or what they were going through. And so I go to this tournament and I see these amazing athletes who clearly had found it within themselves to overcome their injury or to deal with their injury in a way that was going to put them back into life. And what was the tool that was putting them, quote unquote, back into life? Tennis. And so I was a volunteer at this Cajun Classic Ultra Tennis Tournament for years and, um, and I was a young mom at the time and, you know, working and all of that. And so I didn't have a ton of extra time in, in my life. But one time a player, a wheelchair tennis player asked me, do you play tennis? I was like, no, that's a good <laughs> why, why haven't I played tennis? And so once my kids got into school, I did the whole, you know, traditional uh, ladies tennis thing and mm-hmm. became just an avid, I was on 47 teams and, you know, this <laughs> night and that night and all of that and going through the ranks started out as a two five, you know taking my little lessons with my group of girlfriends and realized why then it kind of became full circle for me, tennis and wheelchair tennis. Why is it so amazing? 
And there's so many reasons why tennis is so amazing. Oh my gosh. That's awesome. It's funny. Cause before I do my research on you guys and like do a quick Google and like, for whatever reason, I had it in my head that you were like a former pro player <laughs> and like, <laughs> no, Sorry. no, I started tennis right before I, tor- I turned 40. So I was like wow. a late comer, you know, to the game. And I did like, you know, a lot of my other girlfriends, it's like, you're looking for something that can be a social outlet and active outlets, a little mm-hmm. exercise, little, you know, uh, dinner after a great season kind of a thing, you know, with, with girlfriends. And, and then of course that competitive bug takes you, but yeah. So, you know, that's why tennis is always referred to as the sport of a lifetime. I picked it up even that late in life and, and did my little lessons every week and, you know, worked my way up the the little ranking system. So pro, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. I love it. That's, uh, that's even more amazing that you're so involved in wheelchair tennis. And that was before you even picked up a racket. So yeah. that just shows um, passion and yeah, that's, uh, that's awesome. So I did a podcast with the USTA Southern section and they started talking about like how much wheelchair tennis is involved. And to me as a tennis player, I've played tennis my whole life, but I don't know about wheelchair tennis. And I'm like, why? So I that's honestly, my favorite question. And that's, right? I feel like my mission in oh. life is to make sure that all the people like you have heard about it. Cause it's, it's definitely still not the most, you know, recognized piece of, of the tennis products that the USTA or that anybody who plays tennis is aware of. So yeah, that's one of my missions in life. So <laughs> Well, and I don't know, it's like almost intimidating because you are, I don't know, as a tennis player, as an able body tennis player and athlete, it's like, it feels intimidating to like start asking questions, especially when you don't know logistics or like what it's like to not use your legs or, you know, stuff like that. So I wonder if there's like a, a, a struggle sometimes because people don't ask, but I'm here to ask. <laughs> well, exactly. And I think, you know, that's the, that's the thing with everything that's new to people and all of the, of course, you know, DE and I is such a big topic right now. Um, but if we don't ask those questions and even if maybe you don't phrase it exactly politically correct or in maybe right. in the right way, because you're afraid of offending, but if uh, just ask, because exactly. I think that's, that's where we got to get the dialogue going, you know? Yes. Oh, yay. I'm excited. Your personality is like awesome. You've got such good vibes. I'm I'm very excited. You just made my Friday. Oh my gosh. You're hilarious. Well, (laughs) seriously, Ted Reese, who you were with the podcast, right? For Southern, he called me and um, I was actually at the uh, USTA national campus in Orlando with a huge wheelchair tennis event. And, uh, you know, I was kind of thought it was odd that Ted was calling, you know, Um, typically he would email or something like that. So of course I answered it because it was so unexpected. And he's like, what do you think? Like if I can get, I was like, yeah, what do you mean? What oh. do I think? I love to talk about your tennis. So oh, I love that. Yes. That's so awesome. I'm glad to hear that. That's amazing. That's so cool. And I had a chance to talk to Brad Parks and that episode actually airs next week. So wonderful. Yeah. Oh my gosh. And I was like fangirling a little bit because like doing my research on him, he's mm-hmm. done like all these things and like, mm-hmm. he's such an important piece to all of this, obviously. Absolutely. And, and it's hard to say you've ever met a pioneer or something, you right? know, someone who actually took something that was not there and made it there. You know, it's like the person who invented the sticky note, like that's, an, an, <laughs> that's a little, you know, but I mean, it's the same thing. He took, exactly. He took <laughs> something that was an idea and made it a reality and it has changed 
the lives of so many people. So I'm a little starstruck when I see him as well. And he's so casual about it. And it was like, it was the week of Thanksgiving. And I'm pretty sure like, he honestly thought he was just going to have like a 10 minute phone call with me. He didn't know it was going to be like a whole podcast. And he was so awesome. And like, we just talked, we talked for over an hour. It was crazy. That's awesome. So I'm excited for that too. Talk to me a little bit more about the Cajun classic. What exactly is it? Who, who plays, who comes, how has it grown? Because you literally have been working in this tournament for now. It seems like over 20 years. Yes, it has. Uh, since 1994, it was my first tournament. So we're coming up upon 30 years. Oh my gosh. Um, uh, yeah. So it started out as a little local tournament and and it does have a, a wonderful story as a beginning. Uh, there's a tennis pro who her um, relative was injured in a car accident at, on senior prom night and her life was changed by that accident. She became a quadriplegic and was in a wheelchair. And so here's this tennis pro. And this is kind of in the Brad Parks time, you know, in the in the 80s when the when he invented the sport, really, literally invented to the sport. And she was on the court saying, you know, I, I, this is what I know is tennis. And this is, I know she needs to do something besides just rehab and, and, you know, work through her injury. And she put her out on the tennis court and started hitting tennis balls with her and started a tournament in her honor. And so we were very proud at the rehab hospital to become a sponsor of that and bring it to Baton Rouge and start to grow it. And so we started out, like I said, with a few players in Over the years, the tournament decided, you know, we wanted to increase our level of sanctioning. So we moved up the ranks through the USTA level of sanctioning. And then there was this International Tennis Federation that... Um, adopted wheelchair tennis under their, uh, I guess, entity became wheelchair tennis became part of the ITF and they started sanctioning events, you know, so then it it was a different world-class sanctioning now. And so we started at the lowest level that you could be as an ITF tournament and now termed a futures tournament. It was different verbiage at that time. And then we slowly moved up through the ranks there because we just were very proud of our product and we're an all volunteer organization that has sponsored the tournament and runs the tournament and everybody is very passionate and committed. And we just enjoyed meeting these athletes first from around the country and second, then from around the world. And then as we started gaining that sanctioning, we're now what's called a super series, which is, does not have an equivalent in the able-bodied world, but um, everyone knows the four grand slams, Australian, Mm -hmm. you know, French open and U S open. And so there's wheelchair tennis at all four slams now, which used to not be the case. And then right under that, on the able-bodied side of the house, you have tournaments like maybe, say, Indian Wells, Miami, those big tournaments. And so that, that's what's the wheelchair tennis world equivalent is a super series, they're called. Okay. And there's six of them in the world. And then under that, you know, you start going down into what would be like the challenger in the futures um, events. Wow, that's amazing. Let's talk a little bit about how many players are at this tournament? How many players do you see come through these wheelchair tennis circuits? Um, ages, levels, all that. Give me like the 411 or like the basics. (laughs) Absolutely. So, um, you know, at my tournament, which is the Cajun Classic, I'm the tournament director for that tournament. And like I said, there's six super series in the world. So we're obviously going to be a big draw. There's different levels of tournaments that have different draws, but we are fortunate enough on a a big year, we probably have a hundred and say 30 or 40 wheelchair tennis players at the the tournament, which is probably one of the largest events um, in the world. The Slams have smaller draws, just like they, you know, typically would 
but for wheelchair, they're very small. And then, so the grand slams attract a lot of players. And so we'll have, for example, at the Cajun classic, we'll have number one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and the rankings, you know, with the yeah. give or take with one or two who may be injured, but we have many, many of the top athletes. And as you mentioned, their athleticism is pretty amazing. I mean, they serve over hundred miles an hour. They typically, one of the, the, not one, the only rule difference between able-bodied tennis and wheelchair tennis is the fact that they get two bounces. There's a couple of other minor things like with the chair, instead of a footfall, there would be a wheel fall, little things like that, but they're equivalent. So really the, the difference is the two bounces and to watch some of the top athletes play, they only, they take usually on a one bounce um, instead of the two. And so it's amazing to watch them hit the ball. Their athleticism is crazy. Their movement in the chair, you know, you know how we, you talk about like Roger Federer's ballet, you know, he's dances mm-hmm. on the court. It's similar to that in wheelchair tennis, the, the patterns of movement. So those top athletes are absolutely amazing to watch. And then typically at an ITF event, also, you're going to get a lot of the other international players that are ranked anywhere between 20 and 500, 600, you know, on down. So there's three divisions in wheelchair tennis. Okay. There are the men's division, which obviously is the men, the women's division. And then there's the quad division, which is the quadriplegic division. And that is um, encompasses both men and women who, because of the injury are classified into that group. So to be in the quad division, you have to have three of your four limbs or more involved. So in the men's division and the women's division, typically those are um, injuries that are below, you know, below the chest. They're both of their arms are typically intact and, um, quote unquote, effective, you know, and they're able to use those. Some people have a little bit less in their trunk. Somebody might be an amputee, for example, but the quad division, um, they either have one or both arms also involved. And so a lot of those athletes will actually tape the racket to their hand because their hand function is limited. And that in and of itself is amazing to watch. Um, Because can you imagine taping a racket to your hand because you can't hold the racket without it falling out? And then they go hit the ball like they hit the ball. And then not only do they hit the ball like they hit the ball, they move the chair to get to the ball. And unless you've sat in a chair and tried to move that chair on the court and hit a ball at the same time, it is crazy hard. So again, the, the way that they figure out their bodies and how to work things is amazing to me. But back to your original question. So we have all of those divisions. We have all of those players. And then most of the tournaments that are held in, um, in America also have the amateur side of the house, which okay. is the, the players like me and you, you know, mm-hmm. we want to go play a tournament for fun. We want to get some friends together and go, or, you know, maybe a little bit more of that competitive bug. I want to be number one in the B division. I want to be number one in the A division. So I'm going to seek out those bigger tournaments to get those, those bigger ranking points. Um, or I'm just going for fun because it fits into my schedule and I'm happy to be off that weekend, you know, all of the, and and all of those reasons in between, but again, wonderful, wonderful, amazing amateur players, you know, like a player who you would consider to be a three Oh three, five, four Oh four, five. We have a different system in the wheelchair tennis world. It's a, B, C, and D, but, and then we have all the way to beginners, people who have never played a tournament before. Like, you know, like you would say the two O's going to their Mm -hmm. first day tournament, you know, (laughs) we have those players come to the Cajun classic. And then the biggest, most exciting thing about, <clears throat> excuse me, wheelchair tennis right now is our junior initiatives. Oh, I was going to ask about that. So yes, the juniors um, are definitely an area where we knew we needed to focus from USTA staff committee, for example, the Southern section, all we have really focused on growing the junior space because that's the wave of the future. And we kind of started looking at numbers. And again, not that you want to look at numbers specifically, but numbers are telling. 
And we realized our junior numbers were, were getting lower and lower. We didn't have a junior team go to the World Team Cup, for example, which is the wheelchair tennis equivalent to the Davis Cup and, and Fed Cup or Billie Jean King Cup now. And so we decided to put a ton of effort and um, grant funds and, and just really start looking at that. And so I'm so excited. The Cajun Classic is coming up in nine weeks eight oh. and a half, but who's counting. And um, <laughs> we have, so far we have 10 juniors coming okay. so far. That's a huge draw for a wheelchair tennis tournament where typically I think in 2019, which was, you know, right before the pandemic, we had, I think one tournament that hosted several juniors and that was all the whole year. So to have these numbers growing in the junior space is amazing. So there'll be an eight-year-old at the Cajun oh Classic. Gosh. So you ask like age, we're going to have yeah. an eight-year-old and then we're going to have Mr. Pat Mulvihill, who is a World War II veteran who comes to play, who lost both of his legs. I'm sorry, not World War II, not World War II, excuse me, Vietnam veteran. World War II veteran, maybe not playing tennis right now. Senior um, but, circuit? <laughs> yeah, really. But a Vietnam veteran, he lost both of his legs in Vietnam and he will be there and he's probably in his 80s. So we're going to have that whole range, all the countries from around the world. It's like a um, it's like a United Nations fest when, <laughs> when we're at the Cajun Classic. You know, we got the Google Translate going. Yes, Oh, well, and that's the, that's the thing. Okay. So now like I'm thinking about it more is like growing up in tennis, we didn't see wheelchair tennis being played next to us at tournaments. So like, it's almost like, I wish that like this experience could be happening side by side because knowing that there's such a huge community, like even hearing you say like the pros rank, you know, like right now we know the ITF rankings for the pro players goes well past like a thousand players. And it sounds like there's just as many, if not, you know, like there's a lot, right. There's a lot, right. Right. Yeah. Not, not a thousand, but there's a lot in wheelchair tennis is growing. Um, in, you know, this is one of the things I think that is, is interesting about wheelchair tennis um, in any given city or demographic or a geographical area where a tournament might be. There's not a lot of physically disabled you know, people. Mm -hmm. um, and then they have to choose tennis as their recreational sport. And right. then they have to choose to play a competitive event or, you know, go play at a club or whatever for, for that to. So there's not a ton of wheelchair tennis players in any one given place, but back to your point, which is um, where we're headed, hopefully Michelle, is that all eventually that would be my goal. All tennis events are yes. inclusive of wheelchair tennis, even if it's a small division. And that has definitely been the case over the last several years. It's something again, that we're working on from USTA side of the house to make sure that wheelchair tennis is offered and included in tournaments in junior tournaments, hopefully in the future. Cause right now all of the junior events are really housed specifically with, with wheelchair tournaments, but we are starting to see some of that, uh, an able-bodied quote unquote, able-bodied tournament will call or will reach out and say, Hey, um, I know there's a couple of wheelchair tennis players in my club. I'd like to add some wheelchair tennis divisions. How do I do that? you click the button and you get the wheelchair sanction right there, you know, and you just add it in. So same thing with high school tennis. I think we get emails at the USTA all the time about can a kid in a wheelchair play on a high school tennis team? And again, that's a, we love that question. Yes. Yes, they can. Absolutely. Well, I love that. And when I was speaking with Brad Parks, he mentioned, you know, like a lot of wheelchair tennis players might be, you know, if they're playing doubles, they might be the only person in the wheelchair. Like that's, that's very common. It's common. It to is. Yeah. And it's common to train. So I could assume connecting some tennis players with wheelchair tennis players, you might have a new doubles partner, a new friend or a new training partner. 
or even just a new, you know, someone that you recognize and, you know, we all could use more friendly faces right now or absolutely. I could at least. Absolutely. Okay. And we do have, we had, do have wheelchair tennis players who play like on say a three Oh club team and they're the only wheelchair tennis player. Um, and it's, if they're playing doubles, like you just mentioned, there's going to be two able-bodied on one side and there's going to be an able-bodied and a wheelchair player on the other side. All of those are quote unquote legal, um, according to USDA guidelines. And I think, like you said, sometimes people just aren't aware of that mm-hmm. and and that's why we're here today, getting that yes. word out. Yes, getting that word out. I, I, it's amazing. Um, have you seen also like ju- the junior players, like what is their training regimen like? Are they out there just as much as an able-bodied person and putting in the time in the gym and all of that, especially someone that comes from like the physical therapy world? I'm sure that probably is of interest. Absolutely. Uh, you know, and again, depending on your level of commitment, it can be like any other kid or adult. If you're interested in just having that once a week experience, they might go hit once a week with their pro, participate in some lessons, mm-hmm. go play a tournament every now and then. And then you've got those other kids and adults who are super serious about it and are on the court four and five times a week and are in the gym doing strengthening and conditioning. Um, the whole other aspect of wheelchair tennis that back to the slams and the, the high performance, like the world team cup players, there's team USA, for example, that we send to world team cup and they represent the United States. there. Um, Paralympic teams, which is the equivalent to the Olympics. If if people aren't aware of the Paralympics, all of those high performance athletes, a lot of them do actually play for a living. Um, they're sponsored by different, you know, Nike and different um, entities that sponsor players. They win prize money at all the tournaments that they go to, and and that's how they make their living, so to speak. And then also, you know, there's those ones maybe not quite there yet to have a Nike sponsor, but who are sponsored by Team USA. And, and are able to practice, you know, five, seven days a week. Um, there's actually at the USTA national campus now, wheelchair tennis has been integrated into player development. Wow. And so you might see, you know, um, Cece Bellis or, you know, one of the names in, in American tennis. And then there's our Dana Mathewson who is um, in the top 10 of the women right now. She's a wonderful USA representative for us. And she's right there training at the USTA, you know, PD complex. And she's working with the nutritionist and the mental or the strength and conditioning (laughs) and the mental, the the sports psychologist, I guess, whatever, but, but she has been, you know, embraced and she's not the only one that has been there and hopefully will go there. So there's definitely um, all again, the gamut. I love that. That's amazing. Um, also, I wanted to bring up because I'm learning as I go. It sounds like the University of Alabama has like an amazing wheelchair te- or not just tennis. It's like a, an amazing facility for wheelchair athletes, right? Absolutely. They do. They are um, an ama- they're the leader for sure in the collegiate space in adaptive sports, at wheelchair tennis for sure. Many universities have adaptive sports programs. Um, some have tennis, some do not. But um, the coach there, Evan Inquist, he's the wheelchair tennis coach. He has made it one of his missions to make Alabama the best. And it, they are. They've won the national championship, the collegiate national championship several years now in a row. And his program is just like what we were talking about. He has strength and conditioning. He has them in the gym. He has them on the court, you know, to fulfill their collegiate responsibilities like any other college tennis player would be doing. But um, he was fortunate enough to just cut the ribbon on a a new building that I think maybe you're referring to. That is a state of the art 
adapted wheelchair, wheelchair athletes, athletic building, wheelchair athletic building. So it's amazing. I have not seen it yet in person, but it is, I hear it's amazing. And Evan is definitely doing uh, groundbreaking things that we hope other colleges and universities will see what he's doing and, and take notice and want to be, you know, want to beat him. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> A little right? Competition. <laughs> right. Uh, friendly competition. Yeah. That's right. Let's go. We're calling you out. USC, UCLA. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Tell me, I'm sure you know, so many wheelchair players and probably have heard so many amazing stories, but is there like anyone in particular where, you know, you've heard about this person who was in a wheelchair and just kind of maybe down on their dumps and like wheelchair tennis has somehow become a big, important part of their life. And it's just like, maybe they've become a beacon for other athletes or a role model or someone they can look to. Um, I heard a quote yesterday, and I really resonated with it. And it was like, what if your story is the reason that someone else kept going? So like something to embody that. I'm sure you know a lot of people like that, but if you have anyone you can think of. Well, absolutely. There's many stories like that. And I love that quote, by the way, Michelle. Right? I think that's amazing. <laughs> that is amazing. And I think that is why, again, tennis is is what it is. It, you know, we say this a lot in, in the wheelchair tennis world, you know, it changes lives not only does it bring the sport to your life, but it brings all those other things that we've already discussed. Why tennis is so wonderful to your life. Um, I think I could probably tell you, you know, several stories, but what I'll, what I'll give you is this, because I think this is the most powerful that I've, I've seen. It's kind of a conglomeration of stories. And to me, the most impactful is, you know, there's a lot of athletes that tell their story about how they got hurt, how they went to rehab, how they were introduced to tennis and how it changed their life. And, and those stories are all absolutely amazing. But I think to me, what speaks to me, and I guess maybe too, as a, as a parent is when you have a child who was either born with a disability or was in an, an accident that necessitated, I guess, the use of a wheelchair for them as a parent that is um, also very impactful on you and, and your child. And so you wonder, you know, is my child going to be accepted? The, ch- the kid wonders, you know, he's the only kid in his school in a wheelchair, for example. And, you know, those things of what is he going to be able to do with his life? Is he going to be able to have a social group and participate in sports? And um, they come out to a wheelchair tennis tournament and that family with the other kids in the family see these athletes playing tennis. And then their child is connected with a tennis pro and starts hitting the ball and playing tennis and then starts going to tournaments and starts winning and goes to a college and maybe gets a collegiate scholarship to go play wheelchair tennis. And you sit back and you're clapping for your kid as he's just won this match and, and winning, you know, a, the, the trophy for the division that he just won. And you think, I can't believe what tennis did for this kid yeah, and for our family. And it is just the most amazing thing to watch to me is not only the, the what happens to that person or that child, but to everyone around them as well. You're kind of on that journey together, especially when you're talking about the junior space. So yeah, the stories are amazing, but what to me is absolutely the most amazing is what's happening on the court. You know, when they're, when they're playing tennis, there's no, and, and I think you can relate to this as a tennis player too, right? I say this all the time. When you go play tennis, you can't think about the to-do list. <laughs> You can't think about what you need at the grocery store on the way home because you're you're focusing on that ball mm-hmm. and everything is about that ball, winning that match or just having fun with the with the doubles people you're playing with for the next hour and a half. And then as soon as you walk out of the <laughs> off the court, you know, you put your bag on your arm, you go get in your car and you're like, oh, my gosh, I got to do this. I got to do this. I gotta do. It's just the same thing when you're kind of referencing disability. 
the wheelchair tennis player goes on the court, there's no wheelchair. You know, it's just the yellow ball. Everybody's fighting to win that last point. And that's, um, I think, what tennis brings. That is something that is, that's that inexplicable value that until you kind of see that and somebody get that and you realize that that's what tennis just did for this person who is in a wheelchair, that's what makes it so amazing. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. I get like chills hearing you (laughs) say all that. That's so good. You could be having the worst day ever, but like the second you get on the court, like that's your safe haven or that's like nothing else matters. Just hit the ball. (laughs) Right. And the wheelchair is such a big factor too. If you live in a wheelchair that it's a big factor of your life, it affects your, you know, your mobility, your accessibility. Can I get into that building or do I have to go all the way around? Cause the ramp is, is over there. And, you know, when I get into that space, am I going to be able to, you know, maneuver? So all of those physical barriers and, um, and just things that, you know, physically disabled people have to face when you go on the tennis court, that's not there. It's yellow ball. It's winning yeah. point. It's doubles <laughs> fun. It's high-fiving. It's, you know, it's just fun. Absolutely yes. amazing. Are there any players that we should be, you know, keeping an eye out for Australian open is coming up. That's the other thing is like, we all, like I said, we, we kind of hear about like, oh yeah, there's wheelchair tennis at the Australian open. It is a little bit harder to access on TV. Um, do you know if there's like a way to like stream the wheelchair matches and which players should we be looking out for and any insights on that? Yeah. So the slams for sure, they're becoming, you know, we can find them on ESPN. I know the U S open, for example, you can find on ESPN, different um, channels on the internet. Um, A lot of the bigger events will stream. Sometimes it just depends on if they have that capability. Like for example, um, Evans facility in Alabama, like we mentioned, he plays his ITF and and USTA tournament at the campus. And, And so there's live streaming on every court, you know, um, so it just depends on the facility and the level of event, but the slams are becoming more and more accessible. I know for sure on ESPN, I'm not the biggest authority on that, but I know you can find them if you Google wheelchair tennis live streaming at the Australia Australian Open, for example, you'll be able to find that there. Um, but as far as athletes to watch for, you know, our Dana Matthewson is, um, is definitely one um, in the women's division. And I don't know if she's going, I'm sorry, I don't know if she's going to the Australian Open or not. But, um, and then we have a couple of up and coming men in the in the wheelchair tennis world who probably are not going to be at the Australian Open either. Yeah, this is not something I can really speak to 100%. That's okay. That's totally fine. And I know BNP Parva is a big tournament that also includes wheelchair divisions, I think, right? Well, actually, no. Indian Wells does not include wheelchair divisions, but Indian Wells has historically hosted a wheelchair tennis event at a different time of year than the, the BNP. But um, due to COVID, of course, it hadn't happened in the last year or so, and it didn't happen this this spring. Um, but hopefully it'll be back and yes, a beautiful venue there. Yes. But, um, yeah, we have a lot of great juniors to watch out for. I just, yeah, I can't off the top of my head. I can't tell you who's ranked what or whatever. Um, do we have live streaming for the Cajun classic? Um, we do not, <laughs> we'll, we get do there. not. We'll, get <laughs> we'll, we'll have to get there. Yeah. We have had in the past. Um, I don't have courts that have that capability. I have to bring in a completely outside entity to do that. It's very expensive. So, um, yeah, we have to get a sponsor maybe for that and we can <laughs> live stream from the Cajun classic for sure. Well, you never know who's listening. <laughs> well, yeah. And that's the truth. But yeah. The players love that because then, you know, their families back home, especially at an event like the K 
Cajun where they could be from all over the world, they get to see them play because, you know, most of them are out playing the quote unquote circuit, you know, and they're gone for a while. And, and so it is nice to be able to offer that live streaming. So, yeah, um, I feel like the Cajun classic, like I obviously have not been, but just hearing the name and like Baton Rouge and everything, I'm like, I feel like it's just probably good vibes around. Everyone's just excited to be there. It might be a little intense and competitive, but who doesn't love that? Well, you know, this is what we say about the Cajun classic. You know, we are from the South, so we're very touchy-feely, all about food, all about the, you know, um, the the social part of it too. Of course, everyone's there for the tennis. And so that is a very serious part of it. And we do have some, you know, wonderful competition, but we like to call it the family reunion. Yeah. Um, when, when we see the players either get off the plane or roll off the van for the first time and or roll into the hotel or roll into the court, wherever we see them for the first time, um, our whole volunteer organization pretty much knows almost every single player by name. And, um, and that's what we like to call it. You know, it's, it's, how's your mom? How's your dad? Uh, Did your wife have the baby? Oh, we saw that you had a little girl. We're so happy for you. Or we saw that you won, you know, doubles at the Australian open, which will be the slam right before the Cajun classic, you know, so we, we do, we are very um, proud to say that we have a very family oriented atmosphere. We have a crawfish boil, of course, for the player because let's face it, we're in Baton Rouge. Can't say everybody loves the crawfish, but I can say everybody tries. But yeah, we do. We do try to have a, a not lose that. Even though we have a very professional event, we want to keep that family thing because that's how it started, and that's how it'll always be for us here at the Cajun. Uh, so amazing! That sounds so. Maybe fun. we'll get you out, Michelle. I know. Trust me, I'm already like, okay, maybe I'll take a week off and go check it out. That sounds. Amazing. Oh, maybe you could commentate a match if oh, I did yes. another live stream. Oh, yeah. Let's. Oh, okay. Now we're talking. We have some talented video people in this company. So we might maybe offline, we'll have to see what kind of budget we're looking at and, and what we could do potentially. Um, because we, when we have done it in the past, the commentating makes it, and I don't know if you've ever watched, um, for example, we just had the event, the masters, the ITF masters event was held in Orlando back in October, November. And, um, one of the, uh, actually ex top major USA player, Paul Walker was one of the main commentators and he brings in different people to commentate with him throughout the week. But his commentating is so, to me, it's so special. It's just like watching the McEnroe's comment, commentate on the, you know, on the able-bodied side, it really brings that personal level and those little comments here and there that make you pay attention to the match. So um, yeah, we'll have to get you commentating on yes. uh, at the Cajun classic girl. Oh Wouldn't gosh. that be amazing? You I, and I can do a match together. Yes. Oh, you let, okay. We're like, I'm into manifesting. So we're, we're putting it out there. We're going to make this happen. Like no more just saying like, oh yeah, that sounds great. No, that sounds amazing. I would love to. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, what else? Is there anything else? I mean, you've been so lovely to chat with and your whole just outlook on everything is so amazing, but is there anything else that our listeners should know? What's What sort of resources um, can we share with them, whether they know someone that's in a wheelchair and like might really do well with a wheelchair tennis program, or if they want to volunteer at something like the Cajun Classic or their local USTA wheelchair tennis group? All of the above, all of the above are opportunities, like you just said. What I would challenge everyone to do who's listening to this podcast today is if you know someone who's in a wheelchair or you know someone who has a child in a wheelchair, invite them to come out to your tennis club, invite them to come and hit with you. 
Um, it starts the same for all of us, right? No one can hit the ball at first. It starts with tossing a ball. It, talks, it, it starts with just little mini tennis, just hitting. Um, I would encourage everybody to take that challenge. If you, if you know someone who could potentially want to play tennis, whether it's just play for fun or could potentially be our next Paralympian, mm-hmm. invite them because they might not know it exists either. How many, you know, the other, the flip side of that conversation we had earlier, there's a lot of parents and, and people who are disabled who say, I had no idea what your tennis was a thing. I had no idea I could play tennis. Um, so that that's number one. Number two, I'll say to all the tennis pros listening out there, if you have a wheelchair tennis player who comes out to your club, again, start tossing the ball, start hitting <laughs> the ball. You don't have to be a certified pro to start someone in a wheelchair playing. There's a lot of things I think that can be intimidating maybe about wheelchair tennis. People hear, oh, you have to have a special sports chair. And and it is important to have a tennis wheelchair, but it also, you also can get that later. If somebody's interested in hitting a tennis ball and you're a tennis pro, hit with them and problem solve through it. You know, it's not that different from able-bodied tennis. And when you start getting into that higher level, of course, there's, you know, a lot of tennis professional specialization and certifications in wheelchair tennis and the movement and the wheelchair and all of that becomes such a bigger thing. But at that very grassroots level, if somebody comes out to your club and wants to play, start. And then from there, reach out to USTA and say, I need help with wheelchair tennis. And then we will all be funneling tons of information, whether it's from USPTA, PTR, coaches, education, grassroots grants and funding and programming assistance and logistical help of how do I start a program? Mm -hmm. Or I'm interested in doing something for wheelchair tennis. And a lot of coaches now are starting to become more educated in the wheelchair tennis space tennis professionals in general. And so they now have this piece of education. How do I start a program? Mm -hmm. Put out the all call. And we can certainly help you with that from your district level, from your section level, from the national level. We can give you all the resources to to have an introductory clinic. Where do I find the, the kids and the adults who would be interested in coming? We can give you all those resources, you know, support groups to reach out to, rehab hospitals to reach out to, physical therapy clinics and, um, you know, schools and ad- different adaptive sports organizations that exist out there. Move United is one that, you know, has a huge adapted sports population. And if you are in a city where there's a chapter of them, that, that's a just a marriage made in heaven right there. Hopefully they could funnel you 30 or 40 um, players right there. So there's lots and lots of assistance out there. Jump in and we'll surround you with resources and assistance once you're in our world. Come yes. on in. <laughs> yes. Now I can see why everyone was like, you have to talk to Jennifer. Yes, I did need to talk to you. Um, yeah. It's honestly very parallel to anyone wanting to start tennis. And like, it seems intimidating sometimes because we don't know we don't understand what you know what the whole process is of being in a wheelchair like so I think at the end of the day I like even flub my words because I'm not as comfortable speaking about this but get out there I mean it's like yeah even if you meet anyone that they're curious about tennis you're like grab a racket let's go I don't care if you have the right shoes today but absolutely absolutely you can get the cute outfit and the wheelchair tennis chair and all of that later come to the court today yeah exactly I have been known to you know track down people coming out of the grocery or the mall and (laughs) 
hey, have you ever thought about wheelchair in the airport? You know, you always see somebody in a wheelchair in the airport and I'm always scoping that out, you know? Right? So, it, I mean, you never know. You never Back know. to your original comment, you never know what you're going to do that day or who you're going to approach that you could change that person's life. And to be fully transparent, we never know what's going to happen to us. So if something were to happen to someone that you know in your life and they stuff happens, stuff happens. And, you know, so I could only imagine this being such a saving point when you're going through a tough time. And like even Brad Park's story, it was just so like, it was crazy how he just simply put like, he decided that he wanted to play wheelchair tennis literally before he was like done recovering from his injury. Right. He didn't want to give up sports and, and, you know, what could he do? And yeah, amazing. Absolutely amazing. But yeah, you never, you never know when your life is going to change. And I think that's, that's the biggest thing. Um, people's, these, these accidents on gratefully don't happen to everybody all the time, but when they do happen, they are Mm life-changing and, um, and tennis is such a unifying factor and such a a social, wonderful thing to get people out of themselves and out of that, you know, I guess maybe mindset, maybe of, of my life has changed. And and like we said before, you know, you go onto the court and yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. Oh yeah. I love it. Um, anything else? You've been a delight and so positive and so much information and amazing resources. And I'm so excited about your Cajun classic. You have your eight and a half weeks away. That's, that's going to be very exciting. Sorry to remind you. Thanks. Eight and a half weeks. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a big tournament. So we're ready though. We're getting entries every day. So, so cool. And what's the website? So people can keep an eye out on the results and all that. On, for the Cajun Classic, the website is um, brwta.org. Um, and yeah, the, the results can also be at usda.com. You can search the Cajun Classic on usda.com and the results will be there every night of the tournament. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to chat with us and tell us all about your experience and teaching us more about wheelchair tennis and spreading all of your knowledge and enthusiasm to the sport. And yes, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks so much for listening. Make sure to rate and review this podcast wherever you download your episodes. And be sure to visit our websites for all of the tennis deals at tenniswarehouse.com, tenniswarehouseeurope.com, and tennisonly.com.au. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And until next time, happy hitting.